KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Sometimes I look at the numbers, and I just, it's hard to believe that I did it. You know, like I just, because I didn't do anything special. I, I don't score most of those points without someone passing me the ball or setting a screen. After every game, like, I'd score a fair amount of points, but like I, I just went in there and just played hard and tried to be a good teammate and tried to do the things they were asking me to do. And our guest this week is Diana Karamanico, one of the if not the greatest player in the history of the University of Pennsylvania women's basketball, rewrote the record books. Those records still stand. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Life is returning to normal. I know you're a teacher. What is life been like for the last year? You're teaching at your alma mater, right? Germantown Academy? Yep. Um, Actually, we've been very fortunate. We've been in school in some fashion all year. Eighth and below were in all day, every day, all year, and the high school went through various forms of hybrid. So um, it's been, I've been fortunate to be able to sort of see the kids at least every other day, then two out of every three days, and then finally at the end of the year every day. Um, Sports took a hit. Sports looks completely different. Lots of, you know, restrictions. And, uh, you know, we played for basketball. We played a league schedule but we didn't play everybody, like we didn't play everyone twice or anything like that. We played a league schedule of the teams that were able to participate. There was no like champion of the league really. I'm thankful we got to play a little bit. You know, we had the first week of practice, we couldn't use a ball because we were worried about spreading, you know, the virus, like passing the ball back and forth. So it was a lot of running and things, but you know, we made do and we just, you know, took advantage of what we were allowed to do and made the best of it. Was teaching always your post basketball goal? Was this always the direction you wanted to go in? No, it actually kind of snuck up on me. I well, I went through the Wharton School of Penn, and then I played basketball overseas for two years. Um, and then I came back, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, so I worked at End One for a year, um, which was pretty cool. And then I left End One to give the WNBA one more shot. I uh, didn't make it um, and ended up thinking I might want to go into engineering. So I spent a year working for Henkels and McCoy. And realized that uh, I loved engineering, but you had to be where the buildings were being built. And I didn't want to like move all over the place. I was pretty happy to be home after spending two years abroad. So I started my own business doing mental toughness training for athletes, sort of mind and body clinics. So I do mental training as well as uh, the physical skills. Did a lot of camps and clinics, individual lessons, and realized that my real passion lie uh, in helping kids overcome sort of self-limiting beliefs and adversity. And so, I mean, anybody can teach someone to shoot and they could shoot great when they were in my like one-on-one and then they'd go into their game and they'd come back and the parents were like, Oh, you know, like they're not using what you showed them in the game. And it wasn't because they couldn't, it was because their belief system was sort of working against them. So I stopped doing the, the skills physically on the court. And I started working with teams, any sport to help them sort of develop cohesion, but also to overcome adversity and, be mentally tough and work on visualization and uh, having productive thinking because that really is what leads to success on the field or court. And then I had kids. uh, So I coached all the way through that um, at different levels, uh, high school. I was a high school varsity coach uh, at Penn Charter for a couple of years. Well, six. I also coached water polo there for three. And then I ended up uh, resigning to just be home because I was about to have my second child and wanted to take a little bit of time with them. Um, And then I picked up substitute teaching kind of in there and loved it. And it was something I could fall back on. Like when the kids got a little older, when they were in school, after two or three days of a long-term sub position in psychology, I realized that that was where I was meant to be. So it was a really long path to get there. But I think if I had gone right into teaching after school, I probably still wouldn't be doing it. Um, I just, you know, the, the experience I picked up along the way, I got a master's at Penn in applied positive psych. And that's really what led me to love teaching because I can teach those resilient skills through anything, whether it be French or math or whatever I'm teaching, which right now is math. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. You grew up in Bluebell, correct? Yep. And reading about you, it seems like you did it all athletically. Was basketball always at the top of your list of sports or did it change depending upon what the season was and who you were with and stuff like that? Yeah. So actually sports were the last thing I did. I, I, you know, I feel like my parents enrolled me in like some kind of like computer class and like computers when I was little, like when I was like three or four, it was like this like 
little kid computer group. Uh, computers were just really becoming a thing that some people had. Most people didn't have one in their house. You know, I, I played the violin and the piano. I mean, I had played two years of piano by the time I was five. Uh, you know, I, I dance like I was in my parents' gymnastics. My parents put me in all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then sports were really the last thing I tried. I feel like the first sport I played was softball and had a knack for it. So I played a couple years of softball, but I, basketball did end up being the thing I really liked. I played a lot of soccer too as a goalkeeper. But once I got around to playing sports, and I don't think I started playing basketball until I was like eight or nine. Once I got around to playing sports, I mean, that was the thing that I wanted to spend all my time doing. Um, not so much gymnastics. At the time, by the time I was seven, I was taller than our like Olympic gymnasts. So clearly I, I was just unfurling wherever I was. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> like, I, was uh, I was a little long and floppy for the sport, but um, you know, I, other than gymnastics, sports were where I really liked to spend my time. What was it about basketball? I mean, I'm assuming you were pretty good at it, but was it something about the sport that really drew to you? Or did you just like, I can do this and I'm really good at it and I seem to be able to beat everybody around me? <laughs> I mean, I think it was a little of that. I, it's It helps when you have, just have a knack for putting the ball in the basket. But I also think I don't like to be cold and like the outdoor sports, it gets cold. <laughs> so basketball, you, and it's not complicated. You need a pair of sneakers and a ball and like you can find a gym. So I, I think mostly was, you know, I probably was pretty good at it as soon as I started playing just by accident. So that helped. And you went on to, to play in high school and set all kinds of, school records when's the moment when you start to realize like you're the best going in the group you're in and the people you're playing I mean, was there a a moment of crystallization even at 14 15 16 where you're like i'm going to be able to take this further than most oddly enough i didn't really have like this i'm gonna try to play professional basketball goal that i like was doggedly determined to pursue you know i my dad likes to joke but he's actually not joking he likes to tell the story that like his main goal in my being athletic. Um, he just wanted me to be athletic enough so that if someone wanted to play tennis on a date with me, I could hold my own. That's where he was going for it. Just be able to hold a racket and move in a coordinated fashion. And, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up at a time where like, and with parents who believed that girls could do anything and girls, you know, were able to play sports and not too delicate or anything like that. Um, but I wasn't that far removed from a time when women like were thought to not be, you know, just one generation ago, like my mom played basketball. She started the team at Villanova and like women still didn't cross half court. Cause like they weren't thought to be hardy enough to be able to play hard on like to run 90 feet, you know? So my dad's goal was for me to be athletic enough to hold my own on a date. Like, I guess. Um, and I, I, my goal was just like, all right, well, what's next? You know, like, it was just kind of like, all right, you're good as this middle school player. Like, why don't you play on the varsity? Okay, great. So I played and then I liked it and I kept working and had fun. And cause I liked it so much. I liked to practice. So, you know, and play with my friends and play in different leagues and play on different teams. And so then it was kind of like, all right, well, uh, you're pretty good at that. You know, look, you could play in college. So I started getting mail, you know, when they actually sent letters freshman and sophomore year. And it was like, okay, well, like you could play in college. So why don't you try to do that? So then I did. And then I was good enough in college. Someone was like, you should try to play professionally. So I tried that. And it wasn't, you know, it was just kind of a little bit at a time that like led me down that path. I just think it was fun. I, you know, I didn't ever feel any pressure to perform. I didn't, you know, put pressure on myself or I didn't have my parents putting pressure on me or anything like that. It was just something that I did and I liked it and I kept doing it. The recruiting, you mentioned getting mail. Was it overwhelming? Did it seem surreal? You know, because I would imagine at a certain point you're getting a good amount of attention and letters from places you probably never heard of, like all across the country. Uh, was it to that level and what was that like? We definitely have boxes of mail, um, you know, some, a lot of it form letters, some of it handwritten, you know, they'd send media guides. So we have like somewhere my dad has a box or two of volumes of media guides from like 1994, 1995, 1996. Um, you know, but I was really fortunate enough to play on a team, an AAU team. I played for Fencor, um, which is still around today. Um, I was really, you know, fortunate enough to play on a team and with play with a lot of really good players. So I wasn't an anomaly in my like little world. You know, all of my friends and my teammates were receiving letters to play in college. So it was 
kind of just what happened. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was special or, you know, it was neat. It was cool. I just didn't feel like I was much different than anybody else. Um, you know, I think this of my AAU team of our starting five, one played in old dominion, two played at LaSalle, one went to Auburn and then went, transferred to George Mason Mason. I went to Penn, but then we had play, players that played at all different levels. I mean, most of the players on that team played in college somewhere. A couple of those girls played on my high school team. And then we had, you know, two or three other girls that played like uh, one to one to our sinus, one played at Muhlenberg, one played at university of the sciences. I mean, we were all on the team at the same time. So I didn't feel special or, or anything like that. Cause I was, I was fortunate to be in the company of some really great players. Um, so I just was trying to keep up with them basically. So why Penn when it all, when the dust settled, why Penn? Um, actually it's funny. I was just talking to one of my students about college and figuring out where you want to go and things like that. And, and I feel like Penn kind of picked me, not like the, the coaches at Penn, obviously like they wanted me to come there, but um, the school was just a really good fit. I, I didn't want to leave home. Like I didn't want to, I cut schools out really early that, you know, I might've could have played at a higher level, but I just didn't want to go that far away. Like Georgia, I don't know where that would have gone, but like, I, um, I wasn't interested in, in, in leaving the Philadelphia area really. So it boiled down to like Drexel, LaSalle, Penn, Loyola in Maryland was about the farthest I was considering. And my high school is known for its academic, you know, the academics here and and I felt like Penn was a really nice, like, next step. The Ivy League was perfect because there's academics and there's athletics and they they there's an emphasis on both of those. And so, you know, I knew I wasn't going to play basketball forever. So, you know, leaving college with a degree from an Ivy League university was important to me. And then, you know, the, the coaches. You don't want to go somewhere because of the coaches because, you know, that's a situation that might not last the whole time that you're there. But, you know, they were really good people and they recruited good people, like, good humans. Right. And so the, the, I really liked the team. I felt at home there. I liked being away, but not being too far. Um, Cause you know, I liked when my like parents and my cousins and people could come to games and stuff. And then, you know, I didn't know a whole lot of big five history before I went to Penn, but the Palestra, I mean, you can't beat playing in the Palestra. It's really just an awesome place to, I do homework in there. I lived in there all the time. Like I just didn't sleep there, but I was there all the time. And I just, you know, I just, it was just perfect. It was, really good academics, really close to home. And it was a place I could play. You know, I wanted to make sure that, I mean, at some point in my, you know, I wasn't trying to go in and start right away, but I just wanted to get, get on the court once in a while, you know, in the first half of my career, you know, freshman, sophomore year, my goal was like, just to get some playing time sometimes. I didn't have to play a lot, but I thought I could compete there. From that answer, I get the feeling you didn't realize how special you were. No, and I still don't. I mean, like, I just, sometimes I look at the numbers and I just don't, it's hard to believe that I did it. You know, like I just, because I didn't do anything special. I I don't score most of those points without someone passing me the ball or setting a screen. I, all I did was run the floor, make layups, and maybe cut to the high post off a screen and, and hit jump shots from the elbow. Like, I really don't feel like I did anything special. So it was kind of like after every game, like I'd score a fair amount of points, but like I... I don't know. I don't feel like I did anything special. I feel like I was just fortunate to be, to have fallen in the right situation. You know, we had 10 freshmen coming in, um, which I wasn't even aware of until I got there. I thought there were going to be five. We had 10. 10 freshmen on, on a team of 13 people is a lot. I got to play right away. You know, I, I, you don't, I think that was part of it. I got experience on the job, like trial by fire. And I, I thought, you know, being able to get that many minutes under my belt as a freshman was really helpful. I just went in there and just played hard and tried to be a good teammate and tried to do the things they were asking me to do. So I, I really still don't feel like I did anything particularly special. Like I, I don't think I was like that hard to guard. I'm not fast. I don't jump out of the building. I, I just run and run and run and run and get you tired, I guess. But like that, I still don't feel like I'm like any, I feel like a lot of people would have in my position, in my situation, in the situation I fell into would have been able to do something similar. Well, this is the portion of the program where we go over some of the numbers because every once in a while you stumble across a stat sheet that looks like it has to be an error because it is such an outlier from the rest. And you have one of those. You scored 2,400 points in your career at Penn. I think number two is at 1,800 and something. So you're like a full season ahead <laughs> of the second highest scorer in the history of University of Pennsylvania wins basketball. All-time Ivy League scorer, all-time Big Five scorer. 
you had like 65 career double doubles. You led <laughs> Penn's all time leader in rebounding, an all time leader in steals, which is which amazing. Is weird. It's a you very rarely see somebody be the all time leader in points, rebounds, and steals. I guess the bottom line is I don't think you give yourself enough credit because these numbers are bonkers. I feel like I was the one thing that I was happy that I feel like I, I, the, I don't, Katarina, I think her name's Katarina Paulson, I think has the blocks record potentially. I think she still does. I'm not sure. She had some insane number of blocks. Like I don't, I can't even imagine someone blocking that many shots. But I was second for a really long time, which is like funny to me. Like I was so glad when like Sydney and Michelle like passed me, like because like I just felt like it was important for our program, like the legacy of Penn women's basketball, that somebody other than me be second on the blocks leading chart. Because all my whole high school career, all I ever heard is you're not a shot blocker, stay on the floor. And so those blocks I got were like accidental or like just the right place, the right time. I wasn't like trying to block shots. I mean, once in a while, I guess I tried to go after one, but like, so I just, you know, I, I was really thankful when somebody passed me cause I felt ridiculous being up there on the, in that category. Cause I just have my, my high school coach, Mr. Buckley, like his voice in my head constantly, like you are not a shot blocker, stay on the floor. And so I think, you know, there's been some really great players to come through and I'm really happy to have seen them, uh, you know, take their rightful place in, in those stat categories. Steals too, because steals, I feel like those steals must have been someone else tipped the ball and did the hard work and I like picked it up. I, I don't I You are so like, uncomfortable being good. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, but steals like all right, I'll take the points. Like I did actually put the ball in the basket, but the steals that has to be like I don't know who's kept keeping track of the steals, but I, some of those aren't mine, I think. I think your freshman year I read an article uh, you came off the bench the first couple games, and then you went into the starting lineup. I mean, the numbers tell you, you you didn't miss a beat as far as once you started your college career. Was there a transition to the speed of the game? Were you overwhelmed at any point? Because the numbers would say no. I don't remember feeling overwhelmed. The speed of the game didn't feel different to me because I think I came from a program where we ran the floor constantly in high school. And the, when I came to Penn, the system was more of a like half court system. So there wasn't as much up and down. Uh, at least we tried to control the tempo that way. So I was kind of trying to speed the game up. Like I just wanted to run. So if I got fast break laps is because I like, my, you know, like one of my teammates would see me running to the floor and throw it, you know, not because we had any kind of, we were more of a slow down offense in the first two years. So I don't remember feeling like the pace was hard to keep up with. Um, I do remember there was a transition from being um, coming off the bench, which I was thrilled to do. Um, we, I remember the first year we had two scrimmages and uh, the other forward started the first there was a, a forward and a guard there was like I guess it was like the the two guard spot was open and the four position was open and the other three were going to be the returning the three returning players we had that were starting and so they started uh, one of the guards and the other forward in the first game the first um what's it called uh, exhibition game and then they started me and the other guard in the second one just see like who were like who's going to get that starting spot and it wasn't me um, and I was thrilled. I did not want to start. I was happy to come off the bench. And so we play our first game in St. Francis, Pennsylvania. And I came off the bench and, you know, I remember cause our forward got in foul trouble. So I came into the game uh, like probably five or six, six minutes in, maybe seven. I think I hit a shot from the, I remember exactly. I hit it from, it was like eight feet out, six feet out in the short corner. If you're facing the basket on the left and the baseline, and then I remember like, oh, okay, phew. All right. Like I put the ball in the basket. Like, that's good. I'm good. Like, I, you know, like I'm, that was the one thing I just wanted to like, if I, if I was in the game for any length of time, I would have loved to have just gotten a basket. And so then I, I played the game, you know, and I got a fair amount of playing time in that game because of the foul trouble. Um, and uh, after the game, like our coach showed me the stat sheet and she's like, you know, you had 26 points. And I was like, really? 26? Like, that sounds like a lot. I don't think. You know, so she showed me the stat sheet. She's like, but what I'm going to tell you is you missed eight, light you missed six layups. Like you, you need to put the ball in the basket under the basket like that. Like you, you could have had 30 something like you need to score the one you have the opportunity. I think I six layups or five layups. I missed a bunch of layups and some foul shots. 
Um, so I was like, all right, you know. So I was like, well, that's an accident. So then we played the second game, and I honestly can't remember, and I guess I did okay. So we go to a tournament in North Carolina, and she pulls me aside, Julie pulls me aside, um, you know, that morning. And she's like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, um, you're going to start tonight. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's that's good. I'm good coming off the bench. Like, um, thanks, but I, I'd rather come off the bench. She's like, I think you misunderstood. I wasn't asking you if you wanted to. I'm telling you you're going to. And I was like, is there any chance I could convince you to, like, let me come off the bench again? And she's like, you're averaging, like, 29 points a game in our first year. Like, you need to, you know, or 27 or something. Like, you're you're starting. So then she started me, and I was a wreck. Like, I was so nervous. Like, the first, like, two minutes of the game, I blew two layups. I, you know didn't catch a ball. Like, and so she called a timeout and spent the entire minute just talking to me like, okay, now pretend you're going in off the bench. Like the game started, like now you're coming in. And then that was, then I was fine. But like, I was happy to come off the bench. I liked that role. Um, I was thrilled not to have earned the starting job initially just to kind of like see the lay of the land. But then I guess I had to keep, I had to start after that one. Yeah, I would say so. And you end up your freshman year, you scored 524 points, which is the seventh highest total in a single season in Penn history as a freshman. Is there a point, and I think I know the answer to this question, but be, where you felt like this is incredible, what I'm doing here, like, I think I know how you're going to answer it, given your previous answers, but I mean, that's not normal to have a freshman put in 20 a game at the division one level. Well, so I remember, cause I would, I would work out with the men's team sometimes and uh, like shooting, just do shooting stuff like outside of practice. And I remember after that first game, they were like, how many points did you average in high school? If you're scoring 26, you know, and I didn't, I think I averaged like, you know, 11 or 12, but that's like our league wasn't very strong. So when we got to the league season, I would go from like maybe an average of like 15, 16, 17 down to like 10 or 11. Um, Cause I didn't play at all. Cause like, it was like, we could have put our GV team out there for most of those games and still won by a lot. So, but I, I, I just remember thinking after my freshman year, like I don't do it. I really didn't do anything special. Like I, I just ran the floor. I finished shots that were given to me. Like we had one of the best post players in the league um, was the senior. So she attracted a lot of attention. So I kind of benefited from them trying to stop her. And then, I mean, all I did was make open shots pretty much. So, um, and run the floor. So um, I thought to myself like, man, I really better improve because that's not happening again, right? Like that, I, I need to work hard so I'm not as easy to guard. I can't handle the ball. I couldn't, like, I, I mean, other than like catching it at the foul line and taking one dribble to the basket, like I don't handle the ball or I didn't handle the ball at all. Um, not even like a little, like catch, cut, pass, you know, catch it back, turn, maybe one dribble for a post move. But like, I thought, and I really all scored almost all of my points like right around the basket, like short corner and mid lane layup positions. So I started working on shooting like 15 foot jump shots um, and being a little bit better at cutting, catching and shooting from the elbow. And I remember that was like, I didn't want to have a sophomore slump. So I remember working really hard to like add that dimension to my game that summer, like that spring and summer. And then that, then I was able to hit jump shots from 15 feet sort of around, which was helpful because then they had to play up on me. And then I could go back to my like one dribble to the basket sort of like it was, you know, it just added a little bit of a dimension to and to what I could do. You so mentioned I, the post player getting so much I so much attention. I'm going to figure it didn't take long for your name to be in the middle of the whiteboard in the visitors locker room saying, "Okay, she can't beat us. So this is what we're going to do to try to stop her." Is there a point that you start to realize that other teams are coming in specifically trying to neutralize you? I don't know. I was worried so much about trying to remember what I was supposed to do to stop them that I, I don't think, I don't remember thinking about that. I do. I, I do know that like my freshman year we, we played at Villanova and, and it was sort of a 
catastrophe of a day. It was a day game. I think we were supposed to play them at like one or 12 or something. And some, by some unfortunate mistake, the bag that we brought, we brought the wrong bag of uniforms um, and we brought our home uniforms. So we had white, but we were on the road. Villanova had just, I guess the day or the day before had played on the road um, in their blue and Villanova was like ranked. I don't know. They had an amazing squad. They were going to wipe the floor with us, regardless of what we did. You know, they were all seen juniors and seniors. They played in the big East. Like they were, it was, they were really good that year. Um, and I remember, um, of course, we're all wearing white uniforms. Villanova's scrambling, trying to come up with blue, but theirs are dirty. So they're like trying to piece together, like from old sets and stuff. Our assistant coach takes our trainer or our trainer goes back with our assistant coach in the van to Penn to get our blue uniforms. And as they're gone, I'm shooting and we're, it's, it's you know, whatever, we have 45 minutes before the game, maybe in an hour. And I'm shooting from the baseline and a girl on my team took a shot from the corner and it was like a missile. And I was shooting and my hands were over my head because I was releasing the ball and I was in the short corner and her shot just went into the rim and came straight back into my face. Um, and so now I'm bleeding profusely from my nose in a white uniform and I'm trying to keep the blood off of my jersey and my shorts. And I didn't and I didn't know what else to do our trainer was gone none our other our assistant coach went back with her our head coach was i think in our locker room like writing stuff up on the board so i went to where i thought our locker room was to try to get some paper towels and i tried to open the door with my elbow and it wasn't opening and i knocked and no one came so i'm not sure so the only thing i had and i mentioned my mom started the team at villanova so i've known like you know harry coach Pareto, harry Pareto for a long time and I didn't know what else to do. And blood is just pouring out of my nose and I can't find anybody else. And so I knocked on their locker room door um, and he answers the door, which is weird because who's knocking on their locker room door during their pregame talk. Um, and I'm bleeding from the nose and he's like, Oh God, somebody get her a towel. So like somebody got me a towel. He takes me, he takes me in the bathroom. He's like trying to get my nose to stop bleeding. They went and got the tra their trainer, their trainer comes in and is tending to my nose in their locker room. He goes back and starts talking to his team about beating us and like their strategy, which I don't think they needed a ton of strategy. It was just do what we do and you're going to win by 50. But I'm in the bathroom in their locker room with their trainer while they're having their pregame talk. And he's talking about things that I do, tendencies that I have and things that, um, that they need to do to stop me. And then he's like, yeah, we're talking about you, you know, <laughs> we know you like to go to your right. Or so he was kidding. I mean, he was, you know, sort of kidding when he was, he was saying it to me in jest when he was like, yeah, that's right. We're talking about you in there with the bloody nose or something like I forget. Um, but he, you know, he was gracious given the whole situation. So, I mean, it was a disaster of a day. We bring their own uniforms. They piece together. They have kids with the same, like women with the same number, um, you know, like an old set, a men's Jersey, like they, nothing matched, you know, but they had pulled it together you know, we're wearing white. I managed to keep the blood off of my uniform, although the trainer got the, their trainer got the blood off of my uniform that did fall on it. And then we go out and we play and we lose 99 to 44. So nothing like a 55 point loss to cap off the day, but he was gracious and not scoring a hundred. So that was nice. That was, that was the first time like it done. I thought it was funny that they were, I was like, why are you talking about me? Like Michelle's the one that you need to worry about. Cause she's like strong and powerful and she's going to score on them if they're not careful, you know. Time for a break on one-on-one. -on -one. We will have more with former Penn women's basketball star, Diana Caramanico right after this. And we are back. Our guest this week, Diana Caramanico, one of the greatest, if not the greatest player in university of Pennsylvania, women's basketball history. So you were said you were worried about sophomore slump. You obviously don't have it. How does your game grow over the four years? Because like we said, you come in and you have an instant impact. You're putting up numbers that any kid in the country would, would love to put up. And it's not just the points. We mentioned the steals, rebounds, 65 double-doubles. Does your game change as your four years go on a pen? 
Yeah, so um, I mentioned we ran the floor a lot in high school, and I think that was a really good foundation for, you know, what was to come. Uh, I loved every coach I played for at Penn. And so Julie Serrero and her staff were there for the first two years, and 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 then, um, you know, Penn made a change, and they brought in Kelly Greenberg and Coach McGeever and Dana Smith. I think my game made a jump just in having to – like, that's where I felt like a bigger um, – adjustment happened not going from high school to Penn but going from sophomore to junior year um coach Greenberg came in with a completely different philosophy she you know the we ran the floor constantly we were up and down and up and down we ran on made foul shots we ran on made baskets we ran on missed shots we ran like we had secondary breaks and pressed and trapped so like it's stuff that I had done before but not at the college level so um you know I think just making that adjustment from sophomore to junior year, um, that was really helpful because nobody could scout us. Like there was, it didn't matter what film they had from the year before. We were a completely different team. We were a totally different system. So, you know, we get to the Ivy League, there's only a couple, you know, there's only a handful of games that they could have gotten to watch us by the time when the Ivy League started. What, we like 10 games maybe? Um at that point, maybe six to eight games that they had to try to figure out what we did. So I kind of had a little bit of anonymity there because it was a completely different system. Um, and, you know, it helped me to develop my shooting skills. It helped me to develop, you know, my stamina and my ability to trap and, and things like that. So um, I, I was fortunate there too. Like I just locked into um, I didn't have to spend a lot of time picking something to work on because I had to work on everything because it was all different. Um, and so, you know, coach used the skills of the players that she had and put together a program, but, uh, or put together a system. Um, but it was completely different. I definitely developed the ability to score in different ways because like cut to different places, come off of screens in different ways. Uh, at different times and different, you know, I had didn't ever have anybody setting a screen for me at the three point line with, I mean, whether I had the ball or not, you know, I usually, it wasn't a ball screen. I mean, so it was just my development came by virtue of the fact that I was adapting to a completely different system, which was fortuitous, you know, like, I think that was helpful because nobody could scout us that well. By the time they figured out what was going on, we had really gotten used to playing in that kind of system. During your career, you had games where you scored 42, 41, 38, 37, 35. Uh, the 42 was against Albany uh, in January of 2001. It's still the single game record for Penn. It's the second highest scoring in Ivy history. All those big number games, do any of them stand out to you? Like, is, is there one that just you remember being that dominant? I honestly... I think one of the reasons that made me successful was like I talked about the really believing in the mental aspect of sports and having what you're thinking work for you rather than against you. And, and just sort of by chance, I, apparently I spent a lot of time training myself to forget things as soon as they happened, um, which is great because if you turn the ball over, you miss a shot or whatever, like it's not swimming around in your head. And so I think that was really helpful. Um, unfortunately it's not a selective thing. And so I forgot pretty much everything as soon as it happened. So in those games, I had no idea how many points I had. Um, like none. I mean, I would come at home and come home, come out of a game. And my dad would be like, Hey, how many points do you think you scored? And I, I like, I racked my brain and I think of all the ones I could think of. And I'd be like, Oh, 15, 17. He'd be like, yeah, 32. Like, I just don't remember that. Like in 15 or 17, I could remember about eight of them or 10 of them. And then I was guessing at the other ones. You know, and so I really don't remember a lot. And I so it was never something that I was thinking about in the game. I, I really kind of lived by the, you know, the statement of like, you can like count and you can play, but like, it's hard to do both at the same time. So the, I mean, the Albany game stands out to me for a particular reason. That one, so Coach McGeever he was really good at like keeping an eye on us in different ways. Like, did we seem tired? How are we feeling? Like was something wrong outside of basketball that, you know, would be affecting us on the court. He was really perceptive that way. And and I just remember in Albany, like against Albany, like I, I remember having two putbacks 
two offensive rebounds and putbacks early in the game. I remember hitting two foul shots in a row. But then, like, I don't know, midway through the first half, I asked for a sub because I needed one. Because And I, that happened. And usually I'd come out for a minute or two and then go back in. And they called timeout. And Coach McGee was like, hey, we got you a timeout. Like, get some water, like, rest. I'm like, Coach, like, can't we just sub me out? Like, I just, like, we usually do. Like, and he was like, listen, we, you're, you're fine. Like, you're not, don't get tired. Like, you, you're not tired. You're fine. Take it to sip of water, relax, get a lot of air while you're sitting here. You know, like, you're not tired. Just don't get tired. And it was the only time he's ever said that to me. It was the only time. It just, and I didn't really fully understand what was going on. I just thought it was weird. I thought maybe we just needed a timeout because, like, I don't know. Like, he's like, no, he's like, he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll use this as your rest. Like, we called timeout. So he kept on saying, don't get tired, just don't get tired. And I, I couldn't figure out, like, it just seemed weird. That's what I remember about the game. And then after the game, Carla Schultzberg at the time, um, she came and got me out of the locker room, like, before coach was done talking, and, like, brought me out, and she was like, you know, you scored 42 points, right, and I was like, no, (laughs) like, (laughs) I didn't know that, I thought I was somewhere, I mean, if you asked me, I probably would have told you high 20s, yeah, I really didn't know, so she took me out, and, like, there was an interview or something, but that game stands out to me, because it was so weird, like, I remember coach McGeever being so different in that game, like, not like, yeah, come on, we'll get you out, get a rest, like, and get you back in. It was like, don't get tired. Like, you're okay. Just mind over matter. Um, and it turns out that I guess because I was the – I think – I forget how many baskets I hit, but I think that – I feel like the number four sticks out to me. I think I had most of the field goals in that game. Um, it was just, you know, one of those nights. Like, there was games where I missed a bunch of shots and other people, you know, picked me up and – filled in the holes. And that was just one of those nights where we just were having trouble scoring and I was able to put the ball in the basket, but that's the only one that really sticks out to me. And the other one that I scored a bunch at in um, at the air force tournament, the only reason that game sticks out to me is nothing to do with what happened on the court. I just remember tripping and falling flat on my back during the like starting five introductions. I tripped over Aaron's foot and landed right on my back right before the game started, but I don't remember what happened in the game. I guess you didn't get didn't hurt you. I guess I mean I fell so much. I have giant feet, and I'm still working on growing into myself. So like, I would take some horrific spills, like just terrible. I mean, I, I fell hard so hard one time in like a really intense practice, like late in the practice. It ended practice. Like I mean, I ended up like on top of the ball. I skidded like over twenty feet. I was missing skin from like all four limbs. I, in one fall. I, so I fell all the time, but that one sticks out to me because I was embarrassed because like, it was like the, they were calling the start in five and I feel like I tripped over Aaron's foot and just fell like right, right down in front of, it was on the highlight reel for that year. Cause it was so ridiculous. You guys were your first three years. You guys are pretty good. Uh, then your senior year is special. I think you guys go like 22 and six. You run the table in the Ivy league. First Ivy title in program history. First NCAA tournament in program history. Uh, what was that year like for you? I mean, to have that type of success as a team on top of probably, I'm imagining you had your senior year, and actually might have been your junior year, where every night there was some kind of record that you broke, even if you weren't aware of it. And it's your final year playing college basketball. What was that season like? That to me, that season was awesome. Uh, you know, like, cause that was success for our whole team. Um, you know, it, we all got to be part of the first uh, Ivy league championship for Penn. And like the first is not that it's better or more important than any of the other ones, but it's not, it's the first, it's the first. Right. So I think, you know, you, I feel like that season, it was magical because like it's it's literally like a fairy tale we started out the year i think one oh and five or oh and four and then we were like one and five or something like that maybe you have the numbers there one and five is correct and then we played someone at the palestra during a snowstorm i thought it was air force it could have been 
Could have been Stony Brook. Stony Brook was the the second win came against Stony okay. Brook. So then it was Stony Brook. It was a snowstorm. The city was shut down by the grace of God. The refs had come in the night before. It was us, the other team, the refs, and I think like my parents in the gym. And we won. And it was ugly. We did not play well. And we should have won by a lot more. But we won. And we didn't lose again until we lost to Texas Tech at Texas Tech in the tournament. I think we had 21 straight mm-hmm. wins. That's insane. 21. Like, and and they were, like, in the Ivy League especially, there were some crazy, like, we're down the whole game against Yale, first Ivy game. We're down. The, we're at Yale, down the whole time. We come back and tie it. And it goes into overtime, and Jen Jones comes out of nowhere and scores 10 straight points. I mean, like, it was Jen 10, Yale 0 in overtime. I mean, like, she – I mean, I think they scored some points, but she really just came alive and saved us. And, don't, like, that win, like, it was awesome. And then the, we played Yale at home, and I think Coach Greenberg got two technicals and with five minutes to go in the game had to leave the gym – and Coach McGeever, and we were down five at the point at that point, and like things weren't going well. And then so she gets kicked out, and Coach McGeever takes over, and we ended up winning the game. We're at Harvard when we clinched the, you know, we had three games to go, but we clinched the the Ivy title at Harvard. And their coach, who's a great coach, she's been coaching, she's been coaching for a really long time. She actually might still be there. I mean, like she's very seasoned inexplicably neglects to call timeout twice in like the last two minutes of the game. And we just got the ball back and like used the whole shot clock and like wound the whole clock down. I like, there was no reason not to call timeout. If she had called timeout, it could have been a different, different situation. Dartmouth at home. We're down by one. Aaron Ledley goes to pass the ball to me. And I like, I think I didn't have a great angle and the ball was heading out of bounds and it looks like we turned it over. We're down one with like 16 seconds to go. And now it looks like they're going to have the ball and the ref comes in blowing the whistle saying that coach Greenberg called timeout before she threw it, which like she did, but like, I mean, it was crazy. It was a great call like on coach's part. And the fact that the ref heard it like was helpful. So now there's a timeout, there's 16 seconds left and you know, we score to go up by one, there's probably six or eight seconds left. They go down what felt like an eternity they got. Like, there was some scrum under the basket. Like, I remember watching the whole thing from the on my back. Jewel Clark was on the ground. There was, like, two of their players on the ground. Under, and their girl goes and um, shoots the ball. And they call a foul on Jewel Clark for tripping her on the floor, even though – it's debatable whether that actually happened, but now there's no time on the clock. We're up one and they have to shoot foul shots. And this point there, it was like girl scout night or something. So there was like a thousand little kids in the gym and they were all on the side of the blusher facing the benches. Dartmouth is shooting under the other basket, mm-hmm. under the East on the East end of the blusher. I think she's shooting. So I don't know if you remember, well, you probably did. Mike Jordan, who played at Penn. Absolutely. Um, Guest on the podcast. He was there at that game. And I just remember this, like, grown man. He had graduated from college, and he was, like, there. He's beckoning all of these little kids. He sprints down with a sign. I don't know what the sign said. It was, like, whatever. And he sprints down there and he's yelling at all these little kids to follow him. And he gets about 300 of them under the basket where she's shooting. And I don't know if you've ever been in the palestra on Girl Scout night, but the pitch is ear splitting. It's worse than Cornell on Girl Scout night because the palestra has the acoustics to make it like 17 times louder. And she misses the first one. And he's jumping around, waving this sign. I mean, we just had help from every direction. These little kids are shrieking, and she did make the second one, but we beat them in overtime. And then we played Princeton at Princeton, or Princeton at the Palestra in our last game. So we're thirteen and zero so far in the in, um, in the Ivy League, and we start all five seniors because we at that point we were from ten freshmen. We ended up with five, and we started all five seniors, and all five of us played a different position. We had a, a point guard, a two guard, a three, a four, and a five. 
out of the five of us. And I just remember it was 14, nothing or something, maybe 14, two. And every single one of our seniors scored a basket in the first three, four minutes of the game. And we knew right there, like, this is like, I mean, it was, I don't know what the final of that game was, but I don't think it would ever got close, but it was just, but, and that's, that's just half of the games. I mean, there was something weird happened in, in every, Oh, I think at Brown, I feel like at Brown, they have the really tall girl. Like she's way taller than I am. And she, and I told you, like, I'm not a shot blocker. And I've been told you're not a shot blocker. Stay on the floor. And out of nowhere, like towards the end of the game, um, Jewel Clark scored a basket and they came down. I feel like we were up by just one or two and they came down and they're they're This really big girl goes to take a shot like in close. And I like jumped up and blocked it to Jewel who went in for another layup. And I don't ever do that. You know, like there was some, somebody on our team had some late game heroics in some fashion in every game to keep that winning streak going and to keep that, you know, that, that Ivy title run alive. It was crazy. It was magical. There's no other way. We had help from all corners, fans and coaches and every player on our team. um, And, you know, refs at points, probably not, you know, illegally, just, you know, lucky. Right call at the right time. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, like, former men's basketball players who find themselves at a game and they're screaming along with the little Girl Scouts. Like I just, I, it was really magical. What's the NCAA tournament experience? Like I know obviously the outcome, you guys went up against a phenomenal Texas tech team, but what was just the experience of being a part of that to see your name on the line and, and stuff like that. That was crazy. There were 14,000 people in that stadium and 65 of them were cheering for us. Um, You know, the women's tournament was set up. I don't know if it still is, but it was set up then so that like the top four seeds in every region got a home game. Mm. And, you know, Texas tech is a hard place to play. That was the weekend that Bobby Knight was there interviewing for the men's position. Um, You know, there were all kinds of fans there with like folding chairs on t-shirts saying like, not here or like other ones that were like his face and like, you know, we love you. Like, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Um, you know, like I said, 65 people were there cheering for us. That included our band, I believe. We had that crowd silenced until about three minutes to go in the first half. But, you know, they had a probably a more experienced team from top to bottom. Um, they had some phenomenal players and, you know, we couldn't quite hang on. And then that was the first time we ever gave up triple digits. Um, but we were only, we were down 16 at half, but with like two or three minutes to go before halftime, we were only down like four to six. So... I mean, we definitely, you know, showed well as well as, you know, we could have expected um, given the circumstances. But, um, you know, it was a tough one to to end on. But, you know, I'm proud of how we played, and I thought we represented the Ivy League very well. Time for another break on one-on-one. We will continue our conversation with former University of Pennsylvania women's basketball star Diana Karamanico right after this. And we are back continuing our talk with Diana Karamanico on one-on-one. So the college career is over. You end up playing in France. Was that the first? Were you eyeing overseas or were you looking WNBA? And was the ABL still a factor then or had that gone away? ABL had gone away, I think, the year or two before. Um, I went to, I was invited to the pre draft camp, which was fun because, you know, on the ESPN like leaderboard for like top scorer in the country. There was this girl named Jackie Styles, and she and I were one and two like throughout the most of the year. Um, she edged, you know, edged, I think she ended up like taking over that position and holding on to it. Um, but she's ridiculous. I think she scored like three thousand points yeah. in her career. Um, and I remember the pre-draft camp was was fun because I got to meet her, and she's really nice. Mm-hmm. But like people would say, like, "Oh, that girl Jackie, like you, you know, you got to beat her, or you know, like she beat, she's she, she overtook you, like you know, you got to get her back." and kind of like added this persona to her that she was like, it was a horrible mean person. And then, but apparently the same thing was happening over on her end of the country, because when we met each other at the pre-draft camp that we were like, Oh, you're that person. Wow. Like you're really nice. Like who knew, you know, like both of us had the same experience. People had like turned the other opponent into this like monster who we hated, you know, and 
Well, I, I mean, that they were like, just like Kern, go get her, you know, and meeting her, it was like, oh, well, and I think we actually got to play together um, there, which was fun. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to go out and do my best. And I knew the chances of me being drafted in the WNBA were small, were small, um, partly because I was too small. Um, you know, I'm 6'2", um, which as a center or even power forward is abysmally small. Um, I was undersized in college at the division one level, like really undersized. I was either giving up in like four inches or 40 pounds or both, um, sometimes more. Um, and so, you know, I think there was, there, I know there was hesitancy, you know, the feedback I got was we, we were interested, but you don't handle the ball well enough. You, you really should be a guard at your size. So I think it was like, how are you going to compete with these girls that are big and strong and like you're a lot, but you know, I held my own at the pre-draft camp. I, you know, I played well at the post baskets and, you know, I commanded as much respect as everybody else, like even, you know, whoever was there from Tennessee or um, whatnot. But um, I think at the end of the day, they were hesitant to take a chance on somebody so small playing in the post like that, because, you know, it's a size and strength game. And so I went overseas to develop my guard skills um, and landed on a team, which I wouldn't have traded for the world. I really lucked out. I landed on a team with a coach who like cared about me as a person and cared about developing my skills. He's actually now, um, he like trains the, like the junior Olympic team, like the net, like the, you know, like the 17, 18 year old national mm -hmm. team. Like he, he's a phenomenal, phenomenal coach. And I learned so much over there, uh, you know, playing for him. Our big girl got hurt literally a week after I got there. So I played center in every game I played in France again. But what he did for me was he trained me in our, like, we had like, um, not everybody was a full professional. So there was like three of us that were, and everybody else had a job during the day and played basketball at night. So um, three or four of us would come to practice in the morning and then the whole team would be there at night. So I played twice a day basically. And in the mornings it was all skill-based and he really developed my ability to shoot and dribble and, you know, handle the ball. Um, I didn't ever get to play three in a game, but uh, I really landed in a fantastic place. And it's still a place where we brought the kids back. I have like people that I consider family there. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually played center in France too. And I was even smaller and, you know, gave up more size and, and uh, weight over there than I did here. And that's because I, I had a question I was going to ask you, but then I read an article where you talked about your experience in France, because it is a very mixed bag for people that go overseas, you are at the top of the list as far as positive experiences. And then I've talked to people who were like playing basketball and there's a coup d'etat happening down the street or, you know, cash this check by five because there's not going to be any money in the account after business hours. Like, so I guess, you know, you really just a top notch experience. I fell into a fantastic situation. I played for a club who, um, and I think it goes two ways too. Well, the club was fantastic. They set me up with a bank account. They paid me in dollars, which at the time were worth more than euros. Um, you know, the money was in my account every month. I didn't ever have to worry about it. It was there, um, you know, when I first got there and I didn't have, you know, other than a little bit of traveling money, like I didn't have money to like get food. Like my coach took me to the food store and bought me food. You know, like he, until I got my first like mini payment, like just so that I could like make it through to the end of the first month. Um, but he like took me in town and made sure that I got my phone and my internet set up so that I could communicate with my family because he knew that like as a young person coming over there, you know, with no family or friends and didn't know anybody like that, that was going to be really important to my success and my ability to like be away he was awesome. You know, he, he made sure that I was okay in all aspects, not just on the court. And that's, I don't think the common experience that people have over there. I mean, I know a lot of people that played overseas and you know, they loved playing there, but like didn't love living there or didn't feel like I felt. So I actually got there on August 6th, 2001, which means that less than like a little over a month later, you know, have the tax attacks of September 11th. Um, so that was, interesting because when everybody talks now about where were you what were you doing kind of like I guess I don't know how old you are but like for me that would have been like the equivalent of like the challenger exploding when I was little like mm -hmm. when I was like you know eight seven or eight um 
so that's like the new one. Where were you when that happened? And I was like, I had gone through most of my day already. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I had gone to practice in the morning, came home, made lunch, like went in town, did some food shopping, came back. And then AOL Instant Messenger was how I kind of kept in touch with everybody back then. And I had a friend who was, um, he was playing in Switzerland. Where was he? I forget. But he was playing on a team in Europe too. Not like, not terribly, you know, probably 10 or 12 hours from where I was, but you know, he was playing over there and he messaged me and he's like, yo, a plane just flew into the world trade center. So I turned on CNN cause I had three English channels, CNN being one of them. And I just in time to see the second plane fly into the other tower. And like the, it was just bizarre. It was just seemed bizarre. Like I was very removed from it. It didn't happen in the morning. It happened in the afternoon. I watched it on TV, but then when I walked out of my apartment building, you know, people were very like, are you okay? Do you know, like, you know, do you need anything? We're so sorry for your country, but there was no widespread fear or terror around me. Um, And so I was like worried, you know, in general, but I didn't feel the terror because I wasn't involved. Like I wasn't, not that I was involved in it, obviously it was my country, but like, it wasn't all around me. It was a normal day in a safe world, you know, in France, like that. So watching that from afar was, was odd. Um, you know, and so every year, like, yeah, I teach, right. So every year we try to, you know, acknowledge the attacks of September 11th. And we talk about like, they ask us sometimes to share where we were. And I said, like, I have a little bit of a weird experience with that. You know, I, I understand the terror, but I didn't feel it to the extent mm-hmm. that they felt it here. Like my mom and dad came over to visit me in, in October on an empty airplane, you know, when she's bringing over plastic sheeting to put over my windows and a ladder to like an emergency escape ladder. Cause I was on the third floor. Like, and I was like, what are you even talking like duct tape? Seriously, that duct tape sat on my TV stand for two years. Like I, you know, so it was just a really interesting and bizarre place, like way to experience that, that catastrophe really. Um, but I was, I was well taken care of and the people I, but I think part of that too was I wanted to be part of the club, right? Like I wanted to be friends with my teammates. That was my experience. I'm an only child. I could be alone anytime I wanted, like living alone in an apartment in France. Like, you know, if I can be with people, I'd rather be with them. So I learned to speak French, which the previous Americans hadn't done and that they had had on the team. And, and I, you know, reached out and hung out with my teammates and was, was friends with them and did things with them and went places with them and met their families and, you know, volunteered to coach the younger kids in our club. Um, and, you know, and just, I think some of, some of what I experienced is because I wanted to be part of it. Right. I think that, you know, my experience might've been a little bit different if I had, done what many Americans do or have done, at least in their experience. And is like, they go and they play basketball and when basketball's over, they go and they keep to themselves. Um, so I think it went two ways, but I also landed in a really good situation with a phenomenal coach and a club that paid me on time. And I didn't have to worry about things like that. And I, did you mention earlier, you gave a second shot at the WNBA after, after France? I did. I tried out for Charlotte. Um, I went to like a, like a camp, you know, where all the coaches were there. And I got a call back from Charlotte and it was between me and another girl and they picked her. Um, turns out like, I think my agent wasn't the right agent for me after that first year. Um, they had lost some of their contacts and fell out of favor with some of the European agents. And so um, I didn't go back to play overseas and I'm an Italian citizen, so I have dual citizenship now, but, um, and I was, we did that for that purpose. Um, but I think that they had fallen out of favor with some of the European agents and they weren't able to really find me a job. And it was fine. I'd rather play one year too few than one year too many. I still love the game and I still love being involved in it and playing it and coaching it. Um, but I think that the reason that I didn't make it further was I, I probably needed to reevaluate. Well, part of it was me, but part of it was circumstances and my representation, I think, um, might not have, I might not have been the best, but then again, you know, I'm happy with the way things turned out and I'm not blaming it on that 
per se. It's only a very tiny piece of it. But I tried out for Charlotte. It came down to me and another girl, and I took the other girl. But that girl didn't make it through training camp. Um, and I know I would have at least made it through training camp. She wasn't in shape. She couldn't run that fast or run that hard. So when you look at your basketball career in its entirety, how would you describe it? Lucky, kind of. You know, I I really benefited from being in the right place at the right time with the right people. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, I guess it was me that produced the statistics that you see there. Um, so I won't deny that I didn't have a part in it, but I, I really benefited from great teammates, great coaches. My high school coach, I mean, he's so – he was such a great coach. I mean, he's still around. He's such a great coach. He – I was set up for success. I, I don't know many people that have, you know, like he's just – and he coached me when I was in seventh grade just randomly in AAU on a B team. And then I ended up playing on the varsity in eighth grade until um, I broke my elbow. But, um, you know, I had really good training and really good foundation from him. Um, and, you know, when I got to college, I benefited from playing. You know, I got to go right in and play because uh, there were 10 freshmen. So who else was there was, you know, two empty spots on the court without the freshmen. And they only had three other people. So, um, you know, and then coaches that believed in me and teammates that passed me the ball and I, there was a lot of, you know, luck to it. Um, you know, nobody could have orchestrated all of those things, you know, the way they happened for me. So I'm very grateful for all of it. Diana Caramanico, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Diana Caramanico for being our guest this week. If you like the show and you want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at One on One Pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon1060. Thank you so much for listening. And be sure to check us out again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.